Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met Acme. I'm so excited for this week's episode with Dr. Darcy Sterling. She is awesome. And we talk about the three stages of relationships which I feel like is very illuminating. And we really get into the fact that like you shouldn't be fighting that much in the beginning of a relationship. But it actually makes me think of this poll that we did this week, which is that it was like, should you bring up to your partner if you're annoyed in about something that they did in the first, I think it was like four months or something or four weeks. Maybe it was four weeks. I'm going to make sure. Okay, no, it was actually four dates. It was, the question was, can you get annoyed at a guy and express it after four dates and bring it up to him? 44 people said, or 44% of people said yes, definitely. And 56% said, no, don't do that. And I said, I think you can, but the reason has to be legit. Meaning like, if you're like, oh my God, like it was annoying that you didn't like call me twice last night. Like just, you know, like, but if, something actually happened that annoyed you and would turn you off if it happened again and you see a future with this person, then I think you say something. Like if you were like, it annoyed me when you laughed when I tried to tell you how I felt about like people who are suffering in this country. You know what I mean? Like if it's something that you were really hurt by, then I think you bring up. I don't think it makes you annoying or not like the chill girl. I think if anything, it's hot. Like you're a woman who knows where your boundaries are and where your limits are. And I think the worst thing you could do is pretend to be this chill girl. And then, you know, you're in this relationship and then you're like, by the way, I'm really annoyed because blah, blah, blah. And you have a laundry list. Like, that is is not the best move. I also want to take this time to tell you that camp is in a week and I'm so excited. Less than a week from today. I could not be more excited. If you are listening though, and if you are a guy or you have a brother who's single and adorable or a guy friend or even an ex that you're on good terms with, which don't know how I feel about that, but whatever, send them to camp. We have a few more spots for guys. Not a lot, but... Uh, We really want to fill them with some really great men. So you could go to wemetatacme.com, camp. Something will pop up about camp on the top. You can click there, send that to them, or DM me directly and we will chat. Okay, another thing that somebody wanted me to talk about, and this is a very 
complex subject. We might have to do a whole episode on it, honestly. But somebody had asked, do you think there's an unspoken competition after a breakup of who gets into a new relationship the fastest? 57% of people said yes, and 47% said no. And I basically said there shouldn't be. It's really dumb. You know, I'm someone that tends to move on quicker than an ex and I'm never doing it being like, I win. I'm so cool. It's very much like insular. Like I'm just like, I have to do what's best for me. And I either am following a feeling I have for a new person or like maybe I need to get over the old person and move along. I don't think it's ever like I'm going to win. And if you look at it like that, you're not my kind of person. But this person said the nuances of post breakup stuff. There's so much to talk about like this. If you're both invited to the same party, whether or not you should talk to their slash your shared friends. So many nuances. I think like when the breakup first happens, you're still kind of in contact with the friends that are theirs that you've met through them. And then eventually it fades and it fades naturally and it's okay for it to fade. I still DM sometimes with my most recent exes, friends, wives and girlfriends that I got close with, but it's nothing except to congratulate each other on, you know, a baby or a wedding or whatever. And I think that sometimes it can be toxic to continue these relationships because let's be honest with ourselves. Like we're doing it because we want to know how the ex is doing and we don't need to keep tabs on this person. Like we just don't. Or if we really do, we should go on our Finsta and do it. If you're invited to the same party, I mean, if it's a wedding, go. If it's a party, you know, you should let your ex go if it's like their friends and just do your own thing. I don't think that you, I think like this whole idea of getting dressed up and showing them how hot you are and showing up to the party, it's silly. Like you don't need to show off. They know I think the absence of you makes them think of you way more than you showing up there and trying to get their attention. Okay. And then another question, which brought up a really interesting topic. Someone had asked, they went to a bachelorette party and a lot of the girls were making passive aggressive comments and giving mean girl energy. She wanted to know if she should tell the bride how she felt that her friends were acting. And then someone was like, oh, you need to talk about mean girls. It's so funny because I was just at my friend's bridal shower And this is a friend of mine who is the sweetest human in the world. And I would go anywhere for her and, you know, always be there to support her. But when I went to this shower, there were some girls that were just not so nice at all. And, you know, it was a little awkward. Like, you know, I'll tell you kind of what happened. There was a girl who was sitting a few like two people over from me. And when I go to these things, like I want to introduce myself to everyone. I want to be friendly to everyone. Right. And I don't know these two girls, but I know that one of them just got married and like her marriage, her wedding was in vogue. And, you know, we, I have mutual friends that went to that wedding, including, you know, the bride from the bridal shower. And so I was just making conversation. Like, I don't know what to say to these girls. I don't know them. I introduced myself, whatever. And then I was like, oh, congratulations, by the way. Like, I saw you just got married. Because that's like a normal thing. When something worth congratulating happens to someone and you like you catch wind of it and you see them, you congratulate them. Or like, you're just making conversation. I don't fucking know. Like, I didn't have a ton of friends at this thing. And I'm just saying what I think I should be saying. 
And this girl in response goes, oh, is that like my whole person? Is that what people know me as now? Like, is that the only thing that I'm known for or something? It was so weird, guys. Like, I was just trying to be nice and congratulatory. She had a beautiful wedding and it was so weird. And then she was like, maybe I should get pregnant and like make that my personality. And she she wasn't saying that as like a dig to me because she definitely doesn't know anything about me. But I just thought it was like very bizarre. I don't know if there was a girl who was like alone at a bridal shower who was trying to make conversation with me. I would go out of my way to not only be kind to her, but make her feel included in my conversation with my friend And I just thought that was really weird. And I think the whole mean girl thing is bizarre. I do feel like it comes from a place of insecurity. I'm saying that maybe to make myself feel better. I don't know. I can't imagine why someone would intentionally be mean to someone else, especially someone who was attending something alone. But, you know, these situations just make you appreciate your friends. It had nothing to do with my friend who was the bride. And I would never tell her that I had that experience because, you know, I don't want her to feel like, whatever. I mean, maybe she'll listen to this and she'll know and then we'll talk about it. But you can't control like if your friends are being mean girls, I guess. But I I would not want to be friends with anyone who wouldn't be inclusive to someone. And I feel like I've done a good job of having a friend crew that like everyone who went to my bridal sh- or my bachelorette because I didn't have a shower, like is so sweet and makes everyone else there feel so good. And like, those are the people I want to be surrounded with. But I do think like the mean girl thing is real. There are some girls out there who, you know, love to laugh in other women's expense still. And I don't know why. And I don't know why they're like that or kind of how we stop that. I'm curious if you've had a similar experience. DM me. And then the last poll I'm going to discuss, someone said, do you know he's the one when you don't want him to choke you in bed anymore? This person said that their friend group was having a whole debate. All the girls thought, yes, when you don't want him to choke you, he's the one. And then I guess the other half was like, no, the opposite. I'm, I think the opposite. I think that, you know, you get to let your real freak flag fly once you think someone's the one. Like I, I think that, you know, if, if you're into choking, cause not everyone is right. Like you, or like whatever your kinks are, they really come out once you feel comfortable and once you feel like someone's the one. And I think just because you've decided somebody's the one and you're going to spend the rest of your life together, doesn't mean that you're signing up for mundane, boring sex. And we're going to talk about this on next week's episode, which is all about sex. But I, I don't know. I think that like, that's when you really you let the freak flag fly. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm very curious. And I'm also excited for you to listen to Dr. Darcy. So without further ado. Who says you can't vacation in the comfort of your own home? Stop looking at Instagram and getting FOMO from everyone doing all these things and make your home the best escape possible. Brooklinen is my favorite podcast partner right now because ever since they've sent us sheets, we have the Lux sheets. I think it's just called Lux. And it is honestly Lux, let me tell you, because I usually wake up in a serious sweat, especially being pregnant. Nope. With Brooklinen, I literally sleep through the night. I barely even get up to pee anymore. And I am not sweating a bit because their sheets are so breathable and light and it's incredible. 
If you don't know what Brooklinen is, it was founded by a husband and wife duo, Rich and Vicky, in 2014. Their mission was to provide customers with hotel quality luxury bedding because when you stay at a gorgeous hotel, you're like, what is this bed and what are these sheets and how do I get them? Well, now you can get them with Brooklinen, which is really, really incredible. And I'm just obsessed. I have everything from the pillows to the fitted sheet to the duvet cover. I'm obsessed. And you can shop in store or online at brooklinen.com today to give yourself the luxury sleep that you deserve this summer. Use the promo code ACME for $20 off your online purchase of $100 or more, plus free shipping on brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Use promo code ACME for $20 off plus free shipping. You don't want to miss this. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Darcy Sterling. Hey, Darcy. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. So before we get started, tell us what's your favorite romantic gesture? Well, I love touch. So any Mm. physical like... If my hair's in my face, if somebody were to like push my hair out of my face, I love that. I love when people are talking to me and, or like in particular, when my wife is talking to me and it's like really important and she puts her hand on me, it just like really lets me know that she's attuned to me. You know, I think that as human beings, particularly in, in this moment in time, attention is such a a small commodity. It's such, it's such a uh, scarce scarce commodity that we want so badly to feel heard and like we're being really connecting with our partner that anything like that really just signals to me that somebody is listening that the person I'm talking to is listening it should just be my wife touching me though FYI (laughs) no I totally agree I mean I was I was in bed. I've been in bed with my husband all week because he had surgery on Monday. Oh no. And so he like cannot move around. And like for the most part, we're watching TV or we're on our phones. But last night I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put away my phone and I'm going to lay on him. And it was like this very tiny gesture, but like he was so happy. He was like, Oh my God, like you're coming to lay on me. I'm like, Yeah, you know, but we don't even realize that we're just like on our devices all the time and we're together as couples. And we are touch deprived. We are totally touch Mm -hmm. deprived. So letting someone know that you're there with them, I mean, putting down the devices is everything. It's everything. It's so noticeable when people do it because we've become blind to it when they don't do it. Like we've become immune to it. We don't even notice it because everybody does it. We're constantly connected. So even when somebody just puts, that's kind of sad. That's a very low bar. I know low bar. It's sad. It's really sad. I know. I I think I'm going to do it more before we get into some of these questions. Give us a little bit of background about Darcy. You said your, your relationship status. How did you and your partner meet? So Steph, my wife and I met at NYU. I was getting my PhD. She was getting her uh, master's degree and when you're getting your PhD, it's so uncertain, like when you're actually going to graduate or if you're ever going to graduate, they give you like 10 years to finish your dissertation and do all your research and stuff. So I knew she was in a, I I wasn't trying to keep pace with her, but I was definitely trying to graduate. And I didn't have a whole lot of faith in myself that I would like 
I was like, if you take the foot off the gas, you're never graduating. So it was really cool because we met in graduate school and we wound up having the exact same graduation date, got to sit near each, next to each other in Washington Square during the big graduation that NYU holds every year. And um, yeah, so we met at NYU, were best friends or friends that turned into best friends for a while and then uh, started dating. Being friends is like... Uh, it's foreplay for lesbians. So <laughs> can be. It definitely I, can. I love it. Well, I feel like, you know, it should be for all kinds of couples because it's like you establish that trust. All right. Let that. me just say, can I just tell you? Tell me. This is this should be like a uh, th- this should be an experiment right here. So you think that when you know the person as your best friend, you know everything about them. Like, right. You know what you're getting. Let me tell you. Things change when you start hooking up. Things change because the minute you start hooking up with somebody, particularly if you have a friendship as a foundation underneath it, you fall in love real fast. Like you are like propelled into this obsessive phase, like the first phase of the relationship hit us real fast and real hard. And your brain is soaked and secreting all these neural chemicals that Well, basically, and this is not just me and Steph, this is everybody who starts dating and becomes like infatuated with their partner. You are basically dating high, just so you know. That is literally what your brain is functioning like. You're not seeing each other's flaws. You're feeling so good that you're showing up as your very best self. And when you Mm. show up as your best self, everybody likes you. Everybody likes you and everybody would fall in love with you. And that lasts a good amount of time that lasts throughout the whole period of time that you're like falling in love. And then everything that goes up must come down. And those chemicals start dissipating over time as it should. You start coming out of the honeymoon phase, going into the second stage of relationship, which is organic. I call it organic love because you're in love and it's organic and it's kind of raw. You don't necessarily have relationship skills. That second stage of three is going to be the litmus test to uh, determine whether or not you have them. And if you don't have relationship skills, can you develop them? Because that's the only way you're getting out of that second stage. The first and the last stages are the best. That second stage, that is the one that most people think about when they think about being in relationships. And that stage is not one that anybody wants to stay in. It's it's basically, it's it's known as, that's where the bickering starts. That's where right. the tug of war begins. And what yeah. I wanted to say, coming back to the point of all this, um, didn't mean to dive into a dissertation about the stages of relationships. <laughs> but what I what I wanted to say is you think that when you're dating your best friend that you totally know who you've got. But then they start looking even better. They look and are even better. And mm. like any of the weird idiosyncrasies or character traits that weren't so great early on, those start to go away because when we feel great, we don't look cranky, moody, I don't know, hard to get along with, overly opinionated, too passive, whatever the whatever the traits in your partner are. And there always are traits that we dislike that you don't really love about the partner or you wish could be dialed down. Those go away on their best days. Everybody's everybody has great days where they don't look like their worst selves. That's the whole honeymoon stage. Right. So 
you think you know everything about the person and you really don't until that second stage. You got to get out of the honeymoon to know who you're dating. You got to get out of it. And I want to talk about that stage. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's been coming up a lot on the podcast and just like in conversations that I'm having. I call it the one year itch. I don't know if this is a real thing, but I do think that in a good relationship, like one that could be forever, you're in a honeymoon stage for at least a year, I think. And so after that year is when things like start to come up and when you do that bickering, right? I mean, tell me if you agree. I do agree. I think the the honeymoon stage depends on... so. It depends on how intense and how paced the relationship is early on. That will determine how quickly you burn through the honeymoon. Folks, take it slow. Don't burn through the honeymoon. Those are the best months. And if you're lucky, a couple years that you will right. ever have. That is as good as your partner is ever going to look. That is, Those are going to hold the memories that are going to keep you fighting for the relationship for years and decades to come. Mm-hmm. For most people, it lasts nine months to two years. So one year, I'm not, I'm not mad at that. I think that that's pretty accurate. One year is about right. What happens then is we do start becoming individuals in the relationship. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. It's kind of like the adolescent stage of development that we went through as teenagers, where we want to be individuals within the family, but we want to know that the family loves us enough for us to have our own opinions and look our own way and differentiate ourselves from the family unit a little bit, but still have the unconditional love that we grew up with. That's kind of like the second stage of relationship. You have the basis of trust created. You've fallen in love with each other. There's security and safety enough so that the two partners then try to become individuals. As those chemicals dissipate, their pre-honeymoon selves emerge. And we want to be able to be an individual within the relationship. The mistake that we make is thinking that the bickering, the disagreements, the sometimes the tension that builds or the changes that happen in that second stage, the mistake we make is thinking that that's a red flag. It's not a red Mm. flag. That's a flag that you're in the second stage of relationship and your partner and you are both not consciously, outside of your awareness, trying to be individuals because nothing is sustainable if we're putting on a show. Not that we're really putting on a show in the honeymoon stage, but we don't even, many of our own needs are being fulfilled through those neural chemicals, which once dissipate, we now have the need to fulfill them. Suddenly people are like, I kind of miss hanging out with the girls. I think I'm going to go back to having a girl's night out or like, maybe I want to start I don't know, engaging in whatever hobby it was I was doing, or like, I suddenly have a whole lot of homework to do. I have to like really study tonight. And that's brand new information for our partners. They are like, wait, is something wrong? There's nothing wrong. Your partner's trying to become an individual within this relationship. And the tension that ensues and the bickering that also stems from that is your opportunity to develop the relationship skills that are necessary to get the hell out of that second stage. That second stage is most relationships live and die. They do not, because people see the bickering, the fighting, the arguing, and they're like, oh, this must be the wrong relationship. If you're waiting for someone you don't disagree with 
to be your long-term partner, you're going to have a rinse and repeat of, and, and that's fine. Not everybody needs a long-term relationship. The honeymoons are a lot more fun than the long-term relationship stuff. Right. If you can get out of that second stage to the promised land of mindful love. That is, that is everything. That is yeah. everything. The number one question I get in my DMs is, what's your article code again? And I get it because when you're ordering furniture, you want to order from a place where you know it's going to come on time and it's going to be really nice. And that is what Article is. Every piece of furniture I own from Article is better than the next. And I'm so excited to have them as a partner because we're going to be moving soon when the baby comes and we're going to need new furniture again. It's so annoying. But when I order from Article, I'm never annoyed because it comes on time. An article believes in delightful design for every home. Thanks to their online only model, they have really good prices too. They have a great curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs that make furniture shopping very simple. Their customer care team is amazing and they cut out the middleman so you're not waiting years for that sofa or any of your outdoor furniture. Like some of these places you order your outdoor furniture for the summer and you get it in the fall of the next year. It's like, no, I need it now. I need it within two weeks. Don't be ridiculous. And that's what Article does. They ship across the US and Canada too. So for our Canadian listeners, we got you. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So to claim this, you just visit article.com slash Acme and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. So just type into your browser or into your phone, article.com slash Acme, and you'll get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And I want to hear your definition of mindful love and also kind of go back and say, okay, the first, so the first stage is honeymoon. The second stage is organic love, organic love. And then it's mindful love. I want to talk about mindful love, but before we get into it, I want to back up to kind of like, you know, what you said about if you can't handle, you know, the bickering, if you can't handle this, like no relationship is going to work for you. What about the people who end the honeymoon stage? Like I've had relationships in the past where the honeymoon stage has ended early. Like I'm talking after four months, sometimes after six months. And I didn't know that was a red flag. Now I do, but I didn't know back then. And I do think that that's a red flag. If the honeymoon stage ends too quickly. Yeah. What do you think? You know, I've not heard too many people report that to me, to be honest. Can you tell me more like what was your experience? Mm -hmm. 
Like we're fighting before we have problems and problems don't arise. Problems shouldn't arise. I don't think. But again, like, you know, you're the expert in the first three months of dating. Like what problems? Yeah. There are going to be so many worse problems. If you want to have kids, those problems are going to be crazy. If you don't have that foundation of like, we just really like each other. You know, if you're ready fighting and like the first, yeah. I don't know. Some people are even fighting in the first few weeks. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think that's weird. I think that's really weird. I think that's, I don't often say that there's such a thing as a mismatch because I think when you have well-developed relationship skills, you can make any relationship work, but there is such a thing as like having a basis of like similar values and interests. And like, if somebody is like, fighting with you or picking fights with you so early on, I'm wondering, is that person expecting you to pay the debt from their last relationship that they got burnt from? You know what I mean? It seems to me right. like maybe there needed to be a pause between getting back on the dating apps and yeah. the time that they met you, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And ending their last relationship, like maybe there should have been some like self-exploration, some, some, some self-reflection and trying right. to discern why the last relationship ended before you jump into the next one. Yeah. That's weird. Three months, right. four months in there shouldn't, what are you fighting over? Like which exactly. restaurant to go to? Right. Like, huh? Like you don't have, you don't have real problems yet. And also like, if you can't tackle those fights, which are over nothing, you're not tackling the real fights. So going back to mindful love, what is your definition of that? So in mindful love, the way you get out of organic love is you learn the relationship skills you learn how to recreate a lot of the great stuff from the honeymoon phase. And it's kind of blended in like a perfect smoothie to the security and trust and all the miles you guys now have under your belt as a couple. So you feel very similar to the ways you felt in the honeymoon, but it's not because it's all happening naturally and organically and without effort. You're doing it mindfully. You have determined that the reason you fell in love in the first place is because early on, you guys were doing things with each other, for each other, to each other that caused you to fall in love. Mm -hmm. You've learned that love is not just an emotion. It's about replicating those behaviors again now, even though you don't necessarily feel the motivation that you felt in the beginning, but you felt that motivation because of those neural chemicals. And those aren't going to go away. And if you don't learn how to do the shit that you did early on, even though you don't want to, or you don't feel particularly motivated to do it, like I don't ask myself every day, do I feel like going to work? I just do it. I show up and I do my thing and my clients are happy and that's how life goes on. We don't use our emotions as a compass for how to behave in almost any area of our life, except in our intimate relationships. And I honestly think that that's a big mistake. We have to understand that the reason we fell in love in the very beginning is because there were certain things that we were doing that caused our partner to fall in love with us. And we have to replicate that because when you stop doing those behaviors, the emotion of love dries up. So in mindful love, you have the foundation of trust and security that you built up getting into that second stage of relationship. And you've learned to behave in many of the ways that you did early on. And you begin to see the rewards of that. Because when you do those things, 
it makes you feel more in love. It makes your partner feel loved by you. They start behaving differently towards you. And then you get a lot of that great stuff that happened early on, but it's done mindfully. It's done consciously, at least in the beginning. And then just intermittently, like what we Mm -hmm. all want is kind of like what we call unconscious competence, which is where our relationships work and we're not having to white knuckle our way through thinking through the sense that we're walking on eggshells is gone. We've like built up the relationship skills. We have it in our muscle memory enough that we can literally just move forward. And basically we've practiced the relationship skills long enough and deeply enough that it just happens. We have good technique. That's what we all want. But periodically you do have to use your brain no matter how long you've been in mindful love. Did that answer the question? Yeah, no, definitely. And it, sounds like a great place to be when you're in a long-term relationship. I guess my question is like, how do you know if you're in mindful love versus like, if you're kind of stuck in this organic love and you don't even know, and you've been together for five years. How do you know? That's like asking an Olympic trainer, how do you know you're training for the Olympics? Because the (laughs) drills that you do every day, because it's not something unconscious. You have mm. made a decision to try and work through the problems in the relationship. You have no matter what. Yeah. Well, I mean, nothing is no matter what, is it? I mean, I don't think anything's no matter what. I think everything. No, I mean, unless like no matter, unless they cheat on you with like your sister, then it's like, okay, goodbye. But right. So you've made a decision that barring outrageous, inappropriate behaviors, you're going to try and make it work. You're going to stop trying to bitch about who let the dog out or who didn't bring out the garbage. You're going to try and stop complaining about that. You have figured out your side of the street. Change is really hard, okay? It's really hard when you're motivated, when you're invested in it, and when you have a big reason, which is the partner, to try and change. Getting out of that second stage is a mindful act, and you have sweat and you have bled to get out of that. Mm. Very few people get out of that easily and without effort. Most people get out of that. And that is why the divorce rate is what it is and has been for ages. Because if you're just relying on getting along to be happy with each other, I don't even know what that means. What does that even mean? You're going to agree to everything. One person's going to be passive. The other one's going to have an opinion or you're going to like switch it up. It it doesn't work that way. It does. That's not how human behavior works. When I meet people who tell me I've never had a fight with my partner and I only work with individuals, I don't do couples. No, I can't with those people. Uh, My mother and my mother. Oh my God, how Freudian. (gasps) My wife. My wife. It's amazing. Forgive me. I called her my mother. And anyone who knows me knows that's not a compliment. My wife (laughs) is a couples counselor. And I have no idea how she does that. I have no idea how she does that. So when people come to me and they say, I've never had a fight with my partner, I'm a little taken aback. I'm like, really? Because to me, that tells me that you don't feel secure enough to disagree with your partner. Yeah, Either that or, or both of you are just like, you know, sweeping things under the rug and holding on to resentments, whether you're aware of it or not. Exactly. Thanks. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That scares me. That scares me.
I have been on a serious all carb diet and I thought that it would change. It hasn't really changed much. And it's been hard, I'm not going to lie, to go to the bathroom. And so I'm like, you know what? I need to go back to my daily routine that always makes me regular. And that for me is AG1. It's different for everyone, but this is my experience. And I'm telling you, this works. All I do is take a scoop of my AG1, put some water in my water bottle and some ice and I shake it up and I drink it post or pre-workout. Sometimes I wake up starving and I just need like a lot of food pre-workout these days. So I've been drinking AG1 and then working out. But whatever your body is craving is what you should do. If you're like, what is AG1? All I do is hear about it and I genuinely have no idea. Well, it's a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support your whole body health. Basically, AG1 replaces your multivitamin, your probiotic, and more in one very simple drinkable habit. Science-driven formulations of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients are in AG1. And it's just a really good habit to have. It really is. And once you start it, you actually crave the taste and love the taste because every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, amazing ingredients of high quality that really give me good benefits like amazing energy, mood support, healthier looking skin, hair and nails. And it's really great. I'm telling you, if you haven't tried AG1, you're sleeping on it. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com slash Acme. That's drinkag1.com slash Acme. Check it out. Another thing that you definitely know a lot about because you work with you know your clients on this often, I'm sure, is the work that you need to do on yourself alone before entering a relationship and like bringing the best of you into that relationship. I was in therapy for six or seven years before I met my significant other and had gone through like, you know, more than one therapist, which I feel like is necessary. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, it's like marrying your first boyfriend or girlfriend. Right, right, Who hits right. it right the first time? It is no a numbers one. game. No one. I'm still and looking for my right therapist. If anyone has really a hundred percent. Oh, I have, I have the best one ever. I'll tell you after this. Yeah. Thank you. I'll tell you after this. She's phenomenal. But like, I look back and I'm like, what work did I do on myself? I, you know, I accepted, I started to accept things that I couldn't change, which I feel like was a big part of therapy for me. I started to realize like what my red flags were and things like that. Right. But, but what else is work that you can do on yourself? We have to know ourselves in order to guide a partner on who the fuck we are and what makes us tick. If you don't know yourself, then you're two people who have no idea. You owe it to your partner, folks, PSA. You owe it to anyone you date to know yourself a little bit. And we don't live in a world where self-reflection, where we create the space for that, really. Everyone is busy from the minute they're born. 
parents are like putting them in their extracurricular activities and over scheduling them. And then we become young adults and we over schedule ourselves and we have to hustle to make a living. And like, God forbid you live in a big city with, you know, the big zip code that requires the big salary attached to it. You're like juggling a few jobs oftentimes really early on in your career. And then you blink and you're in a long-term relationship and your partner doesn't understand why you're getting upset over things. And neither do you, you need to figure that out. You need to be able to know the things you like in relationships, the things you don't like in relationships. You need to know like what your communication style is. I'm someone who likes to talk. I'm someone who likes to address things. I don't like to sweep things under the rug. There, there's a tipping point to that. Until I learned how to determine what is worthy of discussing, I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm sorry to all my exes. I'm sure that it was <laughs> exhausting. I'm sure it was exhausting because every thought that came top of mind, I wanted to discuss. And that's not necessary. That's a burden that you put on a therapist, not on a partner. But the therapist needs to help you figure out what your communication style is. Are you somebody that avoids discussing serious topics? And if so, you got to work through that because life has serious topics involved in it. There's no decade in life. There's no, there's no year in your life where you're not going to have to have a serious conversation. And if you're somebody who avoids it and puts their tail between their legs and does whatever you do to exit, it's going to be a real problem. And chances mm. are you're going to meet someone like me, who's a big talker and wants to talk things out because opposites attract. And that is very comfortable for partners unconsciously. This is how we help each other grow. We also need to know like, what is your disagreement and fighting style? Do you know how to have a fight appropriately? Do you know how to disagree appropriately? Do you know how quickly you get activated? You get lit up, you get jacked up, trying to like whittle it down to like normal terms that normal people understand. Like how quickly do you get pissed off? And yeah. how quickly do you return to your emo emotional equilibrium? You need to know this stuff about yourself. And what do you do need to do in between to self-soothe? Do you have any self-soothing techniques or is the way you self-soothe to avoid or to just blurt it all out and projectile vomit onto your partner and expect them to know what to do with it all? You know, you need to know what your fighting style is. You need to right. know, do you know how to have a fight? Do you know what constitutes kicking below the belt? Do you know all these things? These are real important. You're not going to have a partner you don't fight with. You're not right. going to have a partner you don't fight with. If you're with somebody who is an avoider, do you know how to create safety so that they're willing to lean into a scary conversation? Do you know how to create the evidence that their brain and nervous system needs to begin to trust? Oh, serious conversations. They're just conversations. They don't result in conflict. Right. People who are conflict avoidant tend to create the very thing they're trying to avoid because they avoid having real conversations. Mm. Life yeah. is all about real conversations. We have to learn how to have them. So you need to know a little bit about your own relationship patterns also. Like, how do you deal with distress when you're upset with your partner? Do you have a functional coping mechanism or do you dysfunctionally, do you cheat? Do you exit the relationship by like, overworking or over drinking or hanging out with your friends or, or do you 
have like this amazing set of tools in this toolbox called your relationship skills toolbox, where you actually know how to calm yourself down within a reasonable amount of time, which I would say is an hour, an hour or two. I mean, unless you're talking about like, I don't know, an Armageddon situation, most things we should be able to calm ourselves down, regulate ourselves inside of an hour or two. Right. I know. I hate when people are like, I need two days. It's like, why? I could, I, I really think that most people could probably solve world hunger inside of two days. I think that's bullshit. Two days, you need a day and a half to avoid. And then you need the pressure of knowing that you committed to me to come back to me at 48 hours. In those four hours, you're going to figure it all out. You could have done that sooner. Mm, Agreed. You could have done that sooner. There are some people who, I mean, if it's a terrible thing, like if, if a partner inadvertently like hurls a character assassination on their partner, like if you're cruel and you're like, by the way, every time you get pissed off at me and you like go online, I know you're watching porn. Like if something like that erupts in an argument, maybe it takes a day for the person to regulate themselves. But most disagreements aren't that deep and they're not that height. They're not that, they're not that intense. I don't, people don't know themselves. And, Mm. and they, and, and most of what we learn is through media, social media, regular media, movies, television, podcasts. And we see these archetypes, scripted archetypes, because whether it's reality television or not, please believe me, that stuff is edited to create a storyline and it's not based in reality. That's not reality. The problem is that none of us talk about this stuff. And none of us are open about our own struggles in relationships, in our own relationships. And we're so used to trying to put this front on and present as like the happy, perfect couple that each of us feels isolated in our own distress. And we, because nobody talks about it, we tend to think there must be something wrong with my relationship that I feel this way. When in reality, if you'd ever just talk to your girlfriends about it, you'd probably hear we're all struggling with the same stuff. Right. That's so true. I also feel like in just in terms of like therapy, it can be really hard to accurately portray to a therapist like how you act in a fight with your partner. Which is why you need a good therapist who can ask you the same questions 500 different ways frontwards, mm-hmm. backwards, inside out to determine that they're getting a consistent answer. Right. Clients don't know what to present to their therapists. Therapists are entirely too passive by and large in the process of therapy. And that's historically how we were trained. We were trained to be passive. Right. Mm-hmm. And don't know what to present. And yes, of course, historic, like in a traditional therapeutic setting, if the therapist is not in I don't want to say interrogating, but asking clarifying questions and helping the client to question their account. Right. Then then the client is just going to get validation for what it is they've been doing. And they're going to continue doing it again and again and again, because most of us don't walk into therapy saying, well, I really fucked up yesterday. And here's what I did. Right. 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 I know that's so true. And like, you know, some people will reach out to me and they'll be like, I went to therapy yesterday and I left like feeling worse and like more stressed out about my situation. Like, how do I know if a, like I'm seeing the right therapist? Boom, like, you're B, not. Boom, you're yeah. not. 
You're not. Mm -hmm. You leave therapy consistently as activated or more activated than you felt walking in the door. This is not the right person. You could accidentally be dealing with some trauma and talking about trauma just reactivates it. It does not dissolve it or dissipate it whatsoever. We know this. We've researched this. Talk therapy is by and large ineffective for traumatic memories. So, and generally speaking, if we leave as activated or more activated than we were coming in the door, it's because the therapist is very passive or Mm -hmm. we don't feel heard by the therapist or we needed a tool and there was no suggestion on what to do next. So of course you're going to leave more activated because now you have to wait a whole other week to come back to the person. And what are you going to do? You're going to walk in the door and you're actually going to say to your therapist. So the thing I talked about last week, I want a tool for that. I only wish clients didn't have to say that because therapists should be offering up evidence-based tools in every session, in every session. they. How do you make sure that you have a therapist who's not passive? If that's how most people are trained. Well, historically, that's how most people are trained. I see the younger generation of therapists and it gives me hope. I would say, let me back up and say, how do you know that it's even the right therapist to start with? You should want to have coffee with your therapist. If you were alone in a coffee shop and she was the only one in there, there should be a, a, she should be emanating something that makes you feel Mm. warm and welcome. And like she is Like there's a basis of understanding between the two of you. The days of like this sanitized therapist where like you come in, it's a blank slate. I almost look like a nurse. Those days are gone. I I don't think they ever existed. I don't think they ever served clients that people don't have decades to be in therapy anymore. We need solutions fast. We need solutions fast and we need, and the good news is, is that every therapist doesn't have to come up. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are evidence-based solutions out there. You just have to use them. You have to be trained in them and be curious enough to look for them and solve your client's problems. I would feel like such a failure if my client was in a rinse and repeat cycle. I mean, forget years on end. Months on end would make me really uncomfortable. Weeks on end makes me uncomfortable, but I have to sit with it because I can be too neurotic and I can jump right to a solve And people need to be heard first. People Mm. want to express their feelings first. And also, you know, ideally the client says, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to change this up. I don't want to do this anymore. So that's how you know if you're with the, the, and it should take like three or four sessions to know whether or not you're with the right therapist. I do a 30-day trial with my clients, which I know is weird, but I do it because I only want to work with clients who are really ready for change. And my type of therapy, like I give my clients homework every day of their life so that they're working on therapy seven days a week, not one day a week. When they come back into therapy, we review the homework to see how to scale it up. It's really Mm -hmm. not about, it's not about them coming in, trying to learn a foreign language one hour a week. They'll never learn it that way. And so that's not a traditional therapy style that fits every single person. So I do a 30-day trial. Inside of 30 days, you should know whether or not you've got a vibe going on with your therapist, you know? Yeah. And and mm-hmm. so that 
if you're still feeling like you're like it's a monumental effort to talk about things and that the therapist is not like it should be a bit of a dialogue. It shouldn't right. be a monologue. So and then once you've decided, yeah, I think this is a pretty good fit. I think this is OK. I feel pretty comfortable talking to her. She doesn't feel like this cold, withdrawn, you know, boundaried up weirdo who doesn't want to admit to being right. in front of me. I always right. find it easier when I'm struggling with an issue to know that the person in front of me might have gone through something similar. Oh, same, same. You know, I need the that. The yeah. of non-disclosure, I'm just like, I can't. If you can't admit to being a human being in front of me, I don't even want to consider you as a therapist. Totally, uh, totally. Because And it, also like, because you also want like someone who has what you want in a way too. And if you know nothing about them, for all you know, they live at home with four cats, which is fine if that's what you want. But if you are going to a therapist because you want a relationship model that you can look up to, that's not your person. So do you think three cats is like the tipping point, Lindsay? <laughs> I'm just wondering, I have two. I'm just wondering <laughs> at what point I become that little. I, I'm... I think after three, you become a cat lady. Okay, for sure. got it. So three is a tipping point. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. But then going back to the question of like, you've heard so many of your friends say that they've gone into therapy and they've left feeling worse. You got to tell the therapist that. Also, yeah. the therapist just should know. I'm I'm sorry. There's therapy. Yeah, but like, a little attuned. But I, don't, I think the only thing scarier than not liking your therapist is telling your therapist that you don't like them. Like, that's not a thing. I remember my first therapist. I never broke up with her. I just said to her, I'll let you know when I'm going to come in again. And yeah. that was it. Like, <clears throat> I, that was it. There was no... It official breakup. I get it. Listen, I've had, I counted five recently. I've had five therapists in my life. Each one was a long-term relationship. And I think I only terminated, you're supposed to go through this process. We call termination. What terrible, mm -hmm. I call it completion. I've only gone through that process with one of them. Every other one of them, I ghosted and I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. One of them, I, I hurt by ghosting. I heard yeah. from somebody else. I referred to her. I'm sorry for if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I should have, I should have grabbed my ovaries and, <laughs> and, and been the professional that I would want that I try to be every day, but I was yeah. pussy and I didn't do it. And I have an exit strategy. I have an exit plan built into every part of my treatment with clients so that they don't have to figure out for themselves when it's time to break up. I work yeah, in six good. month increments for that reason. It keeps me motivated it keeps them motivated. And every six months we have a conversation about should we move forward or have we completed the work we need to complete? All of which is to say what you did was, yes, breaking up with your therapist is horrifying. And I've tried to set up my practice so that people don't have to break up with me. We mutually break up. Uh -huh. We have, I initiate that conversation too much on one person. If two people get to vote on whether or not to be in a relationship, then two people should vote to end it, I think, professionally, mm. not always. Right, right, right. So you don't have to walk in and be like, you suck. Mm. You can get an I statement. You can come in and say, you know, after your normal warm up, because we all do our warm up at the top of therapy, you can come in and say, so I left feeling really uh, uncomfortable last week. I felt jacked up. I didn't feel better. Do you know why? Do you have any thoughts on why? Like, I thought that yeah. talking about things makes you feel better. 
And maybe look, and if you want to make it about you, I'm I'm like, I'm cringing. Like I can't, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Like, did I do something wrong? Dude, if the therapist is not cued in at that moment to be like, no, 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 no. What that was a beginning. And what should happen now is let's synthesize what we talked about in the last session so that we can figure out together what tools we want to give you, I, I just can't, again, I just, I am so disappointed by my profession that that is such a common experience. Yeah. I just find it. Yeah. It's so scary. And then also when people say that to me, when people are like, you know, I think I want to break up my ther- with my therapist, like, what should I do? Should I go in for the next session? And I'm part of me is like, no, why should you pay $300 to break up with them? Okay. That's and I hear you on that. The text I, is better. I feel that. I feel that. If, if you're like, if your mind is made up, then don't go in and pay 300. Can I just also ask, like as a public service, can you guys please tell your therapists why you're stopping and don't make it about, don't be like, it's me, not you. Like you gotta <laughs> tell the therapist if they didn't yeah. need, even if yeah, you send I, an email after the breakup session or after the breakup text, you gotta let them know. That is so important because think about right. it. They're not gonna learn. They I know, to take you're away. right. I, again, I'm I know guilty. it's not like, each of me too. Yeah. I'm guilty also. I've and now I wish had I had your therapist say to me, why didn't you tell the therapist? Like maybe right. you want to write a letter. I'm like, I'm not writing a fucking letter. I right, know I should. Late. I'm not a big enough person. It's not happening. Not writing. Totally. It's too much. It's too late. But if my first therapist is listening, what I would say is you are a wonderful person, but you gave me nothing about you. And I truly towards the end felt like you didn't care about me. And that's yes. the truth. And that is how it lands. That is the most important thing. So when we give nothing of ourselves, there's, first of all, in therapy, there's such an inherent power imbalance. Like we have all the powers, the therapist, the client walks in, we expect them to zip, unzip emotionally from neck to groin. We got to throw some skin in the game and and neutralize that a little bit. I just think that that, that that's basic human empathy is to try Mm -hmm. and minimize the power imbalance a little bit. And to when we throw a little skin in the game by self-disclosing appropriately, we are saying to the client, I actually trust you enough with this story. Right. And also like you care more because like therapists are humans too. And like, I'm sorry, I don't care if someone's telling me a story and all I do is listen to their story and I've never said anything from my end. So it's like, it can be a conversation too. I imagine like I want this person who's sharing their life story for 30 minutes to know that I understand because I've been there, but that's it, you know, but just now, you know, that I understand because I've been there and now I'm more invested because I gave you a little bit too, you know, hundred percent. It totally bonds us. If you think about go back to middle school or, or even a little bit younger than that preteen where most of us bonded with our besties so quickly. How did we do it? We had these sleepovers where we shared everything and it was mutual. When it's a one-way share, the bonding happens much slower and mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't feel as safe. It doesn't feel as safe. So right. when I sense that my client is struggling with embarrassment or shame and I can, I can cobble up and I always can because I've made every mistake there is, sadly. Right. I can right. cobble up a personal experience that I can throw out on the table. 
that might neutralize how they feel a little bit because the shame gets in the way of the work. I can't have you feeling shame to work with you. I have to neutralize the shame because if you're judging yourself, how can we look at at your behaviors objectively and dissect them and decide which we want to change and which we want to stick and keep the same? You know, that's a really hard process for somebody to go through. And when they're judging themselves in anticipation of me judging them, then it makes it so much more difficult. The work we do doesn't involve a lab test. I have no objective data except your words. So I have to help you not feel ashamed as you're sharing your words with me. But yeah, I totally hear you. I understand not wanting to uh, be the messenger. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, we'll end with this and then I'm going to ask you for a quote or piece of advice. But I had a friend once who was seeing a therapist and this is so bad. And the therapist had glasses and one of her sessions in the reflection of the therapist's glasses, she saw that the therapist was playing a computer game. <laughs> I know. Okay, so see this is a podcast and I'm, I am I sound like it's <laughs> muted because I was fucking speechless. Crazy, right? No, it's, it's so not crazy. I'm going to up it. It's not a pissing match, but I am going to try yeah, yeah, and normalize yeah. it, which Let's hear. Just, just is so embarrassing to my field. I have done a type of therapy called EMDR where the client mm-hmm. is meant to close their eyes during parts of it. And when I've opened my eyes, a therapist was texting <sighs> and said to me, sorry, just a second, I'm handling my daughter. Like no remorse, no apology. Just, at least she acknowledged it and didn't try to gaslight right, me. Right. But even worse than that, two different therapists dozed off on me. Two <sighs> different therapists dozed off on me. First of all, I find that offensive from like an entertainment perspective because I do think <laughs> I do a good job of putting on the Darcy hour. Like <sighs> some of them I saw three times a week. I think I did a pretty good but my stories were off the charts crazy because I come from a nutty family. Right. And and like the stories alone and historically trained, like traditionally trained therapists will say, well, let's talk about why you put me to sleep. (gasps) Can you imagine? It was my fault. It was my fault. My ego. It was my fault for bullshitting in the sessions. Not their fault for not being participating in the sessions or asking or calling me out on my bullshit. Undoubtedly, I was bullshitting. Undoubtedly. But that's what happens when you're alone in a room doing a monologue. Right, right. Somebody has to call you out on your shit. Right, exactly. They don't just fall asleep. That is hysterical. Darcy, I feel like we've covered glasses. No, that's insane. Insane, insane. But I loved chatting with you. I loved talking about therapy. I love talking about the stages of relationships. I do feel like people will not be sleeping during this episode. I can guarantee. Um, Do you have a quote or piece of advice that you could leave our listeners with? Examine your partner early on in the dating process. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, can I accept this person as is? Because they're not a brownstone fixer upper. They're not a project and they're not changing. Men date people hoping they'll never change, which of course is as ridiculous as women tend to date people who have potential and are hoping that they're going to change. And uh, 
that just makes your side of the aisle, you heteros, that sets you guys up for such a disaster. And it really exactly. sets all of us up for, for a big mistake. People, look, I, I sell change, but I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to change. People can change. It is a slow, long process. It is, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And nobody is changing because of their partner. They're only changing if they have an intrinsic need to. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love that. So do you like your partner the way they are? Because that's who you've got. Mm-hmm. You don't I have a next that. chapter or next version of your partner. That's for the right. next partner that your partner has. Mm, that's amazing. And so true. It's so Where sad. can everybody find you, follow <laughs> you, and potentially sign up for the 30-day trial as well? Oh, yeah. You have um, room. Yeah, I forgot about that. So I can be found at Ask drdarcy.com and that's dr not doctor spelled out and uh, just there's a tab i think that says work with me and we do a, i do a, i do a consultation first which i don't charge for which i should probably charge for but i don't uh-huh. <laughs> because i don't ever want money to be the barrier to somebody getting no, in the door course. but then it becomes the barrier to them staying in the door so i don't mm-hmm. know ask drdarcy.com that's where to find me. awesome thank you so much thanks for having me lindsay Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.